Good morning again, everyone. How are we doing today? Good. Glad to be in the house of the Lord. We are in a series called Christian. And uh, last week we discovered uh, that um, the people in the Bible who followed Jesus, they called themselves not Christians, but disciples. And we kind of dove into what that meant a little bit. And we're going to continue in that uh, series a little bit today. But um, I learned some some pretty interesting things about a very interesting person that I wanted to share with you before we dive into the scriptures today. Um, some of you may or may not be familiar with uh, the name Anne Rice. Um, her picture is going to be up there. There's, uh, there's Anne. Say hi to Anne. Um, <clears throat> Anne Rice is an American author, or was. She passed away a couple years ago. Uh, she was an American author, um, and and she wrote mostly, it's called metaphysical gothic literature. That's what, that's a fancy way of saying she wrote about vampires. Um, and then towards the end of her career, she wrote a lot of Christian literature, and I'll get to that in just a second. But uh, she was best known for her uh, series of novels, The Vampire Chronicles. And the first book in the series was actually uh, the, the subject of a film adaptation called Interview with the Vampire. You may have heard of that. Uh, She's really successful as an author. In her career, she wrote over 40 books. Those books have sold over 100 million copies worldwide. She's like one of the most successful authors in American history. Um, Anne Rice uh, was born in New Orleans, and she was raised in a Christian home. She was raised to believe in Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. Uh, but when she was 18 years old, she says in her own words, she says she left the church violently and completely. She, she walked away from church. She walked away from faith uh, into atheism. And then she began her career. Um, she's been uh, all places all over the world, like places I'll never be. She's met people, all, like all kinds of people, people that I'll never meet. And like she's like been there, done that, right? She's experienced almost everything, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, um, she's had some bumps along the way, you know, tragedy just like everybody. But um, in her late 50s, around the end of like... The, the last century, 1999, 19, 1998, around there, she made her way back to faith. She, she like came back to her roots and started coming back to church and she found Jesus again. Um, and after 40 years of being an atheist, she's like, she's back. And she decided that when she came back, she was going to begin committing her writing skills to the Lord. And she decided that she was going to write a uh, trilogy uh, of, of Christian novels, um, Christian fiction novels. The first uh, in the book in the trilogy is called Christ the Lord Out of Egypt. And uh, this is a fiction book about Jesus as a boy, Jesus as an adolescent, Jesus as a teenager. Like uh, when Jesus was nine, how many brothers did he have? And um, did he do miracles just for fun? And did his mom get on him for not showering when he's in middle school? You know, that kind of thing. Um, fiction, totally fiction. She says that it's fiction, um, but, but stuff like that. And um, it's, it's fascinating. But what's interesting to me is that at the end of the book, there's an author's note. And in this author's note, Anne Rice explains how she came back to faith, explains like, um, 
like how she came back to the church and, and believing in God again and that kind of thing. And I wanted to share that with you uh, really quickly. Uh, to some extent, Anne Rice was uh, a historian. She, um, she researched like crazy and she was always fascinated with the history of Judaism. And she was fascinated with the history of Judaism because um, it was an ancient culture, it was an ancient religion, and it lasted, the, like it, it survived the test of time. And she, fascinated her. So she dove into researching Judaism. Um, and, and she was always curious, like, why the Jews? Why the Jews? And she began researching, and she discovered a piece of Jewish history that she didn't, she wasn't aware of. She discovered a piece of Jewish history that, that I think, I don't think any of us probably know about because it's not common knowledge. It's not taught about in schools. Um, in, in about 64, 65 AD, the Jews rebelled against the Roman Empire, and that was the beginning of what was called the Jewish Wars. And this, these Jewish Wars lasted about four or five years, and it culminated in the Roman Empire surrounding Jerusalem and laying siege to everyone who rebelled against the Roman Empire. Fascinating. Fascinating. And uh, the Roman historian Josephus wrote about it, giving basically a play-by-play description of everything that happened. So if you want to ever go check it out, it, um, yeah, go check it out. It's, again, fascinating. So uh, Anne Rice began uh, studying the siege of Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem, which happened around 70 AD. And um, she thought it was so incredibly fascinating, she wanted to keep learning more. She wanted to keep learning more and more and more. And so she kept searching for resources to learn about this, this um, piece of history. And, and she thought to herself, what other resources can I check? Aha, the New Testament. I can look at the New Testament because she was taught, like probably many of us, the New Testament was written many, 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 many years after, after all the actual events happened. And this will surely, this is, the document is surely um, written far enough after that it'll have something about the Jewish wars in it. So she goes to the, the New Testament. She starts reading the Gospel of Matthew. She starts reading the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. And it's not in there. There's nothing about the Jewish wars in there. And so she, she was like baffled, like, how is this not in there? And then it occurred to her, well, maybe it hadn't happened at the time that these were written. And if it hadn't happened at the time that these were written, well, then maybe these documents are, are they're probably a lot like more recent than, than I'd thought. And if they're a lot more recent than I'd thought, then maybe the, the eyewitnesses who wrote those documents were still alive. And maybe if the eyewitnesses who wrote the documents were still alive, then they're actually historically accurate. And if they're historically accurate, then that means these things actually happened. Like this was an actual accurate account of the life of Jesus. And that's how she came back to faith. Isn't that most of your story? <laughs> isn't, isn't that how you guys came, came to faith? Like that kind of intellectual journey? She was fascinated by this, and, and she, um, she, she came back to faith. And um, when, when she discovered this, she, she kind of found out that there were some pretty smart evangelical Christians. She began to read their books, and her eyes were open to this whole other arena of scholarship that she had no idea existed. She didn't know anything about because most of the people that she, she spent her life with kind of had the attitude of like, why on earth would you give this Christian thing a whole, uh, like a, another thought? Why would you give the Bible any of that? Another thought. It's a waste of time. But she re-embraced her faith. Well, after that, um, 
after the, the first book, the uh, Christ Our Lord, she wrote another book called uh, Called Out of Darkness. And, and it's her spiritual confession. It's a story about how she came back to faith, about why she left the church um, and, and all that. It's, it's fascinating. It's, a, it, it's another um, just a, a crazy look into this, this lady's story. And so um, there are some interesting things in the book that I wanted to share with you. Now, uh, this, uh, like Anne Rice, she's way smarter than all of us put together, right? She's, uh, she's a rich lady. She's tr- world, uh, traveled the world. She knows a lot of people. She's an atheist, former atheist, born-again Christian. And this is, this is what she says. She says something that maybe some of us have struggled with for years. Here, here, here's what she says. He... He's talking about God, knew how or why everything happened. He knew the disposition of every single soul. He wasn't going to let anything happen by accident. Nobody was going to go to hell by mistake. This was his world, all this. He had complete control of it. His justice, his mercy were not our justice or our mercy. What folly to even imagine such a thing. I didn't have to know how he was going to save the unlettered and the unbaptized or how he would redeem the conscientious heathen who had never spoken his name. I didn't have to know how my gay friends would find their way to redemption or how my hardworking secular humanist friends could or would receive the power of his saving grace. I didn't have to know why good people suffered agony or died in pain. He knew, and it was his knowing that overwhelmed me. His knowing that became completely real to me. And why should I remain apart from him just because I couldn't grasp all this? He could grasp it. Some of you know some people who live, who, who are in that space of like, man, I just, I just can't get with this God thing because I don't understand him. I don't understand God. I can't wrap my head around it. Some, some people, maybe you're there. Maybe you know people who are there. I think Anne put it perfectly. She, she put, this is so profound. She put it perfectly, and she addresses issues that Christ followers face to, to this day, and, and this is her answer. You know what her answer is? Hey, your God is too small. Your God is too small. Why would I remain separated from God because I can't figure him out? It's incredible. Well, some time goes by, and she, she re-embraces her faith, and she goes on for about 10 years doing the Christian thing, and, uh, and then in July 2010, she quit. She quit. She uh, just quit Christianity. She uh, posted this on her Facebook page. It says this, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being a Christian or to being part of Christianity. Okay, wait, wait, Ann. You're remaining faithful to Christ, but you're quitting Christianity. That doesn't really make sense to me. Like, that kind of messes me up. What do you mean? And she goes on. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. See, that's how smart Anne Rice is, right? Disputatious? I had, to, I had to practice saying that just so I didn't get up here and sound like an idiot in front of you guys. Disputatious. She's saying, I want to serve Christ. I want to serve Christ, but I don't want to be a part of whatever that is. I love Jesus, but I, I don't want that. I think a lot of us have been there. Some of you felt that way, and, and 
and she's not done. For 10 years I've tried, I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. So your conscience that's informed by your following Jesus won't allow you to be a Christian anymore? I would say at this point, like, I'm confused by that, but we're not really all that confused by that, are we? I think we know what she means. She goes on. My faith in Christ is central to my life. My conversion from a pessimistic atheist lost in a world I didn't understand to an optimistic believer in a universe created and sustained by a living God is crucial to me. But following Christ does not mean following his followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity and always will be, no matter what Christianity is, has been, or might become. Really quickly, I want to add a little caveat to that. She doesn't say that um, the church is bad. She's not saying I'm, I'm separating myself from all people who believe in Jesus and I'm just, me and him are just going to do our own thing. That's not what she's saying. She's saying the idea of Christianity and what it is, that's what she wants to separate herself from. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity and always will be, no matter what Christianity is, has been, or might become. And after she posted that, it got all kinds of buzz. And, um, and then she was interviewed again after this, and she said in this interview, my commitment to Christ remains at the heart and center of my life. Transformation in him is radical and ongoing. That I feel now that I am called to be an outsider for him, to step away from the words Christian and Christianity, is something that my conscience demands of me. In other words, I want to continue to follow Jesus, but I can't in good conscience continue to be associated with anything Christian. It's, it's a pretty bold, pretty bold statement. It's a pretty bold point of view. Wherever you are in your faith journey, I'm willing to bet like you may have felt this in some form or fashion at some point in time. Whether you've been going to church your whole life or whether you're as far away from him as a human could be, you've probably, you probably identify with this in a little, a little bit. Um, some of you have kids who are fed up with Christianity, maybe teenage kids or, or uh, adult kids, and they're fed up with Christianity. They have all these questions, and they've come to you with their questions and their concerns, and, hey, mom and dad, what about this? What about this? What about this? And you look at them, and you go, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, and you, 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 you can't really, like, you can't really tell them that they're wrong because you, you can see that they're right, but like you don't want them to walk away from their faith completely. You don't, you don't want them to walk away from what you brought them up to believe. Maybe you're there. Or maybe some of you, like, life has just been disappointing. I mean, like, the way God was presented to you, um, like, he didn't do what he was supposed to do according to your fourth grade Sunday school teacher, right? Like, they, they teach you all the songs, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, but God's not acting like it. He's not acting like it. And, and, and now there's like tension, right? Or, or like along the way, maybe you read some Christian book or you heard some, some other person give like a, a, a thought. And, and now it's like, it, like your thoughts of God don't line up with your experience. Like maybe, maybe you're there and, and you're like, you don't want to give up Jesus, but everything Christian just kind of rubs you the wrong way. 
What we discovered last week is that maybe Anne isn't off base. Maybe she's not completely wrong. Maybe, like, maybe there's something to what she's saying. Like, uh, in in fact, when she went public with this post of quitting Christianity, um, her email inbox was flooded with emails of people saying, you've joined us. You're part of us now. And she said, I inadvertently joined another group. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to join another group, but she had no idea that there were so many people out there who loved Jesus and wanted nothing to do with Christianity. So many people. They loved Jesus, but they didn't want to be associated with anything Christian. Here's what we discovered last week. The word Christian can mean whatever you want it to mean because the word Christian is not defined in the Bible. You can't, you can't find a definition of what Christian is in the Bible. So you can make it mean whatever you want. You can believe anything. You can behave any way you want because it's not in there. You can define it, redefine it, misdefine it, use it to justify any belief or behavior. The word Christian is actually a derogatory term used as an insult by people outside of, of faith in Jesus to talk about people who have faith in Jesus, right? That's what we learned last week. And over time, the word Christian just stuck. Uh, the, the followers of Jesus just embraced it as a, as a, a badge of honor, right? Kind of like um, <laughs> fans of the Grateful Dead are called deadheads. And originally, when that uh, name deadheads was like coined, it was used as a derogatory insult. It was, it was meant to, to insult people. But those, those fans of the Grateful Dead wore it as a badge of honor. And now it's on T-shirts, right? I'm a deadhead. They, they're proud about it. Or like a geek, right? Geek is bad, but Best Buy took geek and turned it into a business. Hey, I'm a geek. Have me over to your house and fix your TV or your computer or whatever, right? That's what happened with Christian. These, these Christ followers took the, the derogatory term Christian and wore it as a badge of honor. The problem with the term Christian is nobody knows what it is. You can't define it according to Scripture. You can't define it according to Scripture. Welcome to part two of our Sunday message, Quitters. Um, if you were watching online um, and you saw that the feed just cut off, there was a uh, power outage. Uh, uh, in our in our facility and um, it just it cut everything off and so um, I'm here right now just uh, just just bringing you part two of the message quitters and where I left off I left off talking about um, Christian as a term that uh, Christ followers in the first century they wore as a badge of honor um, much like fans of the Grateful Dead um, embraced the, the term deadhead. Deadhead was a, an insult originally, but they embraced it. They put it on a t-shirt and wore it proudly, much like uh, Best Buy turned the word geek into a business. Um, Christ followers turned the word Christian into a badge of honor, and they wore it um, proudly. Uh, the, the problem with the word Christian, though, is that it can mean whatever you want it to mean. Uh, it, it can be whatever you want it to be. And so that's why you find today, you find Christians on both sides of political issues. You find Christians on both sides of legal issues. You find Christians on both sides of financial issues. This is why nations that are predominantly Christian can go to war with each other because Christian is not defined. It, 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 you, you, can't, you can't look in the Bible and see what it means to be a Christian. It's not in there. Uh, this is why there were churches on both sides of the civil rights movement. You're wrong in the name of Jesus. No, you're wrong in the name of Jesus. What's up with that? Like, that's, that's how it went because 
Christian is undefined. You can find Christians on any side of any issue because when you open up the Bible, you can find nothing to conflict with your definition of Christian because it's not in there. So uh, last week we opened up the Word and we discovered that Jesus called his followers something else. And we actually uh, discovered also that, that the Christ followers themselves called themselves something else. And what they called themselves, what Jesus called them, was disciples. Now, disciple is a terrifying word. And the reason it's a terrifying word is because disciple is so clearly defined. It's so specifically defined that there's no way to get around it. There's no way to hide from the definition of disciple. There's no way to uh, redefine it or misdefine it. It's very clear in scripture how a disciple should live, how a disciple should behave, and that's why it's, it can be so so scary. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to read um, the scriptures, but I, I wanted to kind of give a little disclaimer really quickly. Um, when, we're, when we're getting ready to, to read the scriptures, it, we're going to read Jesus' words, and and on the surface, they may seem a little passive. They may seem a little soft. They may seem a little fluffy. Um, and really just kind of not tough or manly. Um, and potentially you're going to think, like, Pastor Ryan, this is great for a, a Sunday sermon in, in church, but like this isn't going to work in my office, or this isn't going to work on the job site. This isn't going to work with my friends. Welcome to the real world, Pastor Ryan. It, you're, you're potentially going to think that. Um, and the, the reason we think these things is because when we hear Jesus uh, speak, we picture, um, we picture him uh, as a, a stoic figure. We picture him as a, a, you know, in the, the soft white gown with the, the sun shining in the background and the kind eye. Like we, we picture like this soft, this soft teddy bear, and that ain't Jesus. That, that's, not, that's not Jesus. Jesus wasn't soft. Jesus wasn't weak. Um, listen to me. Li listen to me right now, because it's very important that you hear what I'm about to say. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, watch what Jesus did. If you want to understand what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, watch what Jesus did. Um, before I read the words of Jesus, remember the man who who spoke the words. Um, he was a, a 33-year-old master craftsman carpenter. Um, he, and he marched into a city knowing that he was going to be arrested and put to death. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't do that. There, I, I can't think of anybody who would do that. He marched into Jerusalem knowing he was going to be arrested and put to death. Remember, this is a man who, he, as a child growing up, he, he would walk around seeing rotting corpses on Roman crosses. That, that was his child. He, it's, not, it's not something he read about in a book. It's not something his buddies told him about. It's something that he smelled. This, that was life for him. And, and I, I, can, I can picture him as a child and walking by and seeing those, those bodies on the crosses and his mom trying to shield his eyes from the carnage. That was real life. That everybody was, was fearful of being crucified. And he knew that. And he walked into Jerusalem ready to be arrested and put to death. He, he knew he was going to end up being one of those rotting corpses on a Roman cross. And he marched into Jerusalem anyway. He had several occasions where he could have backtracked. He could have taken it all back. 
he could have uh, could have said, you know, I was just kidding. I'm I'm not I'm not serious about what I'm claiming. Who who I'm claiming to be? That's I was just joking. He could have he could have done that. He didn't. He 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 didn't. He he knew he was gonna he wasn't gonna have a trial. He knew there wasn't gonna be lawyers. He knew there wasn't gonna be a jury. He knew he was gonna be railroaded, and he walked into the teeth of that. So before you, you're tempted to discount what Jesus says as soft or fluffy or passive, you just remember who said it. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, watch what Jesus did. So last week uh, we read John 13, and this was um, before, um, before Jesus was betrayed and before he was beaten and crucified. It was the Last Supper with his disciples. And he, um, he's having this conversation with them, and um, he gathers his guys together, and he says this. I'm going to put it in my own words. He says, boys, if you forget everything else, remember this. And this is what he says in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But Jesus, I thought it was about what we believed. No, it's not about what you believe. I mean, you got to believe some things, but people can't. People can't see what you believe. Jesus, I thought we were going to be Christians. No, I want, I want you to be my disciples. But Jesus, you've defined that, and it's hard. Yeah, I know. I know it's hard. And if you forget everything else, remember this. Here's how they're going to know. Not by the way you behave, not, not by what you believe, but how you love one another. Approximately 50 to 55 years or so after Jesus said these words, uh, the Apostle John, who gave us the Gospel, John, he's an old man now. Um, he, he saw, or at very least, he, he heard about Rome um, besieging Jerusalem and, and taking it over. He, he saw, or at least heard about Rome executing hundreds of thousands of Jews. Um, he, he, he knew that temple worship probably would never be reinstituted because the temple had been destroyed once and for all. Um, he, he, John is an old man, and he got news years before that, that Peter had been arrested and taken to Rome and crucified. He got news years before that the Apostle Paul had been arrested and taken to Rome and beheaded. At this point, John's one of the only ones left. All the, all the good people are gone. Uh, and he doesn't know why, but for some reason, God spared his life. God, God saved him, and, and now he's an old man. And after everything he's seen, after everything he's heard, after everything he's experienced, he, he sits down as a wise old sage, and he, he pens a letter to um, Christ followers scattered all over the Roman Empire. And he could say anything he wants, right? He's John, like the John. He could say anything he wants. Uh, just really quickly, imagine as a young Christ follower receiving a letter from one of the original 12 disciples. How powerful that would be. Be an incredible moment. So John sits down and he writes this letter to, to fellow Christians. And this is what he says. He, again, he could say anything he wants. This is what he says. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, um, in the original language of the Bible... Um, there's actually a little play on words here that, that dear friends could more accurately be translated as dear loved ones. And that's a play on words because John 
referred to himself as the one Jesus loved. So it's a little, it's a little um, fun thing there. But dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Like, read that. I'm like, okay, John, really? Like, you're you're still hanging out on that idea? Like, how did that work out for you and your your guys? Like, they're all dead. You're in exile. Like, how, how has that worked out? It hasn't worked out great. You, like, how's the church going, John? Like, isn't the church in, in hiding? Like, love one another? That's, that's not really a really good strategy. Like, Jesus, Jesus meant well, but that was a long time ago, and, like, things have changed, John. Like, you, you, you got to move off this. Isn't there something else that we could be doing to get this thing going, get this church going? Isn't there something we can do? And, and John goes on in his letter. He says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Wait, doesn't know God. Like, I don't, I don't know about that, John. Like, you know, my, my pastor, uh, he's not a real loving guy, but, like, he, he knows God for sure. Like, you ought to hear him preach. You know, like, like we, we think things like that. Or, you know, there's this lady that I know that leads a Bible study, and, and people, uh, people actively avoid her like they don't want to be around her but uh like she knows god because she knows she knows the word and john's going no no that that's not it that's not it well but but john like there's this guy in my church who operates in the gifts of the spirit and he speaks in tongues and he prophesies like how how could he operate in the gifts of the spirit if, if he didn't know god and john's saying he's, he's making a big claim he's saying how like how are you going to know that that somebody knows God if, if they love that's how you know it, it doesn't matter the spiritual gifts it doesn't matter how well they know the word how well do they love that's how you know if somebody knows God because John goes on to say because God is love God is love whoever does not love does not know God because God is love and if you are a God person if you are a Christ follower this is crucial to understand god is love if we want to know god we need to live in love see and it's, it's funny it's funny if somebody were to walk up to you and and ask you to tell them about god you would probably start using all the o words god god is omnipotent he's omnipresent he's omniscient he's omnisequence you know you start using all the o words um, and then once we we're done with all the O words, we'd probably move to the Old Testament words. God's powerful and he's mighty and he's the king. And, and John is saying, yeah, those, those are all true, but God is love. God is love. Either John is lying, John is mistaken, or John is introducing a really powerful idea here that God in his essence is love okay john I, john I have just a few questions for you uh did you see what happened in jerusalem yeah i saw i saw the romans uh lay siege to, to jerusalem okay did, did you see what happened to the the rebels that that were pushing back against rome yeah they were all they were all executed okay how many friends did you lose john oh i, I lost count okay john you know you know what happened to peter yeah, I heard he was crucified. You know what happened to Paul? Yeah, he was killed too. And God is love. Yes. John is saying, no matter what, like, I believe this. 
no matter what. Well, how do you know, John? And he answers in, in the next verse. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For John, this isn't a theory. He didn't read this in some book. He, he wrote the book. He lived it. It was his experience. He saw it happen. And all these years later, John is saying, I'm just as convinced now as I was back then that this guy Jesus is the Son of God sent to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Just as convinced now, 55 years later, as I was then. And he goes on to say in verse 11, Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. This word ought in the original language in the Bible um, is actually a financial term that communicates indebtedness. Uh, in other words, since God loved us, we owe it to God to love other people. Since God loved us, we owe it to God to love other people the way Jesus loves us. And, and there's a sense in which I'm, I'm, I'm so indebted to God. I feel this, this indebtedness to God because of everything he's done for me. But the, the crazy thing is, the cool thing is, he doesn't want me to pay him back. He wants me to pay it forward. God is not looking for me to pay him back. He wants me to pay it forward. He wants me to love people the way he's loved me. And I'm so overwhelmed with the love of God that I can't help but love people like that. God wants us to live in such a way that nobody will ever be able to, to say again that God's people are quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and a deservedly infamous group. God's saying, I want that to go away. I, I, I want that, those labels to be done with my people. And the only way for this to, to, to go away is for us to take seriously this new command that Jesus gave us, love one another. I don't think uh, Anne Rice would have had to quit Christianity if the church would have just gotten this right. If, if the, the big C church, the body of Christ, would have gotten this one command right, I don't think so many people would quit Christianity. But there's a sense that we all kind of need to quit Christianity because None of us really knows what it is anyways, and we need to get back to being disciples, disciples of Jesus. Because I don't think people quit, wow, they love me so well, right? You, you've never heard somebody, you ask somebody, why did, why did you leave the church? And their, their answer is never going to be, yeah, they just loved me too well. That's never going to be the answer. People don't leave because they're loved well. Let's get back to being disciples who love like Christ. Imagine for a second if suddenly we decided to quit being Christians and we started being disciples. Like how, how would things change? The people around us who, who aren't Christ followers, they would, they would say, they would see us and they would say, like, man, I don't feel coerced into anything. I actually feel drawn. Um, and, and, us living like this would actually make non-Jesus followers question the way they live their own lives because they've never seen anything like it. And see, this is how most of us came to faith. 
we saw a group of people loving each other well. We saw a group of people living life differently with joy, and we were drawn in. This, this, isn't, this isn't rocket science. Like It's been in Scripture for 2,000 years. This isn't brand new. Our problem is that we've settled for being Christians, and we've settled for Christianity, and we gave up something really, really good. What does it look like? What does this look like in the marketplace? What does this look like inside of a marriage? What does this look like uh, at your school? What does this look like um, just out in public, just with, with complete strangers at the store? What does this look like? If we don't get this one thing right, it doesn't really matter what else we do. Love one another. So that's my message um, for, for this week. I have a few next steps, um, some things we can do to, to, ten, to take the, the message and tangibly apply it to our lives this week. So the first next step is this. This week I will memorize 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us, uh, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Remember that ought word is a financial term that communicates indebtedness. Since God loved us, we owe it to God to love others. The next, uh, the next step is this. This week, I will pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help me love more like Jesus. And the last one is this. This week I'll invite someone to the extravaganza. We have our Easter extravaganza on May 6th, and we would love to see you there. Um, but I will pray, and I will close us out for today. God, we love you. We thank you for this message. And we thank you, God, that you've called us to be disciples, not just Christians. Uh, I thank you, God, for the high calling that is to be a disciple of Christ. And I pray uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to know um, how to live like disciples. You would empower us to live like disciples. And um, I pray um, blessing on anybody who, who's tuning in today. Um, God, that you would continue to draw them nearer to yourself. We love you, God. We thank you. Bless this week. Bless the extravaganza. Um, and give us favor as we, as we serve our community this weekend. We love you, God. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, amen. We will see you next week.